While You Were Folding, Episode 8, Religious Life, with Sister Mary Immaculata. Hi, I'm Catherine Boucher, and you're listening to While You Were Folding. This show is my weekly excuse to talk about marriage, parenting, faith, friendship, culture, what I'm reading and watching, and whatever else strikes my fancy. Most importantly, it's a great excuse to connect with and learn from like-minded women who are committed to beginning again each day. I won't pretend to be an expert, but I will ask you into the conversation, ask a whole bunch of questions, and encourage you to share what you heard while you were folding. Today we are going to be talking with Sister Mary Immaculata, Sister Mary Maculata is a school sister of Christ the King, and we are fortunate enough to have Sister Mary Maculata for our daughter's second grade teacher this year as she prepares for the sacrament of confession and first communion. But before we get into that conversation, let's go ahead and open with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father of mercy, Thank you for the gift of this Lenten season. Please allow this time with you in the desert to deepen our faith in you, to deepen our trust in you and your plan, to make us firm in our resolve to be obedient to the vocation that you have called us to, and to make sure and open our ears to whatever the particular call is that you've placed upon us to live out within our vocations. Please embolden us to carry those out and help us to trust in you when we are feeling afraid of that call. We ask this through your name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So just like usual, I wanted to do a quick weekly recap or update of what's going on around here. Um, Today, I have to confess, I'm feeling a little bit distracted. We um, found out yesterday that we were going to have an opportunity to attend Mass at the local Nebraska Right to Life recently leased a space right across the street from a local Planned Parenthood. And a few years ago, our Planned Parenthood clinic here in Lincoln, Nebraska, used to be right next door to a house that the Nebraska Right to Life, or actually, I believe it was the Diocese of Lincoln that owned that home. Um, But since the Planned Parenthood location changed a few years ago, they moved to a pretty busy intersection here in town, and the pro-lifers have not had a home base to call their own where we, where we could gather together and have prayer time aside from using the sidewalk right outside of the local planned parenthood. But within the last few weeks, the local Nebraska right to life chapter leased a space in a strip mall right across the street. So for those of you who are local to Lincoln, the planned parenthood clinic is located at 48th and old Cheney and on across the street, from Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is on the northwest corner of 48th and Old Cheney and directly across the street from Planned Parenthood on the northeast corner 
there, you may know there is a high society cheesecake store restaurant right over there. Well, just to the south of there on that same corner, there is another building and that is the building that the Nebraska right to life chapter has leased out. I believe the lease is for the next two years and they have decided to use that space so that pro-lifers can come inside, warm themselves during these cold winter months that we have here in Nebraska and have a gathering space for those who are coming to pray and the sidewalk counselors who work with the women who are coming in and out of the clinic who are seeking guidance and support. And every Tuesday, we have a beautiful mass being offered at the Nebraska Right to Life chapter space that they have available. And my sister made me aware of this mass and we found out about it yesterday. And so last night, I knew I was going to be attending that mass. And I knew that we would be able to view the clinic right across the street as we were celebrating mass. And anticipating that moment, I asked my friends to pray for a special intention, and I asked them to storm heaven. Those were the exact words that I used. And last night, as I was getting into bed, I started to hear this strange sound outside, and there was a huge ice storm happening. And overnight, we received here in Lincoln approximately half an inch of ice pellets that had accumulated on the road. And in the morning, the ice was still pretty thick, but because we're in Nebraska, school was still on, but it made the roads pretty slippery and pretty treacherous, especially for those who maybe were traveling on the interstate this morning. And I also found out yesterday that the doctor who performs the abortions here in Lincoln travels from Iowa. She lives in Iowa, comes to Omaha on Mondays to perform abortions on Mondays at the Omaha Planned Parenthood, and then comes to Lincoln on Tuesdays. And so I thought, wow, (laughs) I asked my friends to storm heaven and God sent this storm overnight and made the roads very slick. And I arrived at mass this morning at 10 a.m., And I knew that Planned Parenthood had abortions scheduled between 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. That's how they're always scheduled on Tuesdays during that time window. So I'm there for Mass at 10 a.m. The roads are still pretty slick. And Planned Parenthood has appointment times available online. And so you can actually go online to the website and see which appointment times are still available And they were booked solid this morning. And so I was anticipating that we would see several women going in and out. But there were not nearly that many women. And I think the roads helped to make it so that we had a lot of no-shows for those appointments today. And as I'm sitting there at Mass, I was there with my husband, Philip, and our two youngest that aren't in school today on Tuesdays. Um, We listened to the first reading And I couldn't help but smile because not only had God sent the ice storm the night before when my, I had asked my friends to storm heaven, but then the first reading begins. Thus says the Lord, just as from the heavens, the rain and snow come down and they do not return there till they have watered the earth, 
making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. And that's from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 11. So you get to that verse where he talks about from the heavens, the rain and the snow come down and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful. I just could not help but smile because (laughs) I'm sitting there. It's a strip mall building and they have these huge plate glass windows. And the priest who was celebrating mass with us that morning, there were probably Oh, probably between 30 and 35 people gathered in that space. The priest had set it up so that the altar was actually facing outward toward the Planned Parenthood building right across the street from us. And when the priest was celebrating at the altar, he was facing outward, out toward the windows. And having that visual for us and hearing those words just thinking about how we don't usually think of snow and ice as bringing life, but I'm hopeful that God interceded through something as simple as some ice pellets on the road this morning from preventing some young women from seeking out an abortion to end their pregnancies and to choose life instead. So, Um, yeah, that's why I'm feeling kind of distracted today. That was my first experience attending mass at this location. And I wanted to be sure and talk about it. Um, I think it's as Christians, obviously we believe in the power of prayer and sometimes we feel powerless in the face of all the evil that's happening around us. But today, as we turned onto the street and I saw the Planned Parenthood and I saw the sidewalk counselors praying outside, I had this horrible feeling in my stomach. And I turned to Philip and I said, I just, my stomach hurts just being here. And then getting to celebrate the mass and receiving Jesus, who we as Catholics believe is present to us in the Eucharist and being able to pray, be with him and pray and watch the women who did arrive at Planned Parenthood this morning walking in and walking out of the building, just offering that moment to God in prayer and hoping that those women, no matter what happened in their lives, any choices that they've made, times that they've been made to be victims, that they can just be entrusted to the merciful love of the Father and know how much there are people who love them, who want what's best for them, and want to make sure that they are given all the love and support that they need. I hope that those of you who live here in Lincoln um, definitely check out this space and find out more about the Nebraska Right to Life and ways that you can support them in trying to build up the community of life that we have here in Nebraska. Thank you to those of you who have been praying I hope that our prayers are heard. I know they're heard by God. And I I pray that any young women who are facing a pregnancy that maybe they weren't planning on feel all the love and support that they need moving forward. 
Aside from that, the biggest development we have around here is that on this Saturday, we have our daughter Jane's first confession. And she is so excited to receive her next sacrament. And I cannot wait to hear what she thinks about the whole experience and getting to hear the words, I absolve you of your sins. Um, So I'm looking forward to giving you that report next time. Uh, But today I have an awesome guest and I want to make sure and get to that right away. Sister Mary Immaculata, like I said, she's a school sister of Christ the King. And I thought her message today just was perfect timing for Lent. She shared a lot about her vocation story and how after a difficult time in her early, early life, she returned home. It was kind of like a prodigal son story. And I loved hearing about her experience of returning into the arms of the loving father and coming back to the sacrament of confession. And we also got to hear about religious life. I, even as a cradle Catholic, knew next to nothing before this conversation. She shared a lot about the different steps with becoming a religious sister and also a little bit about community life as well. So without further ado, here's Sister Mary Maculata. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Spirit, be with us today. Let everything that we talk about today glorify you, the Son, and the Father, so that in everything that we say and do in our whole lives, every single thing will be glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Sister Mary Immaculata, welcome to While You Were Folding. Thank you for coming on the show today. Before we jump into our conversation, I'd love for you just to introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us who you are, a little bit about yourself, and what your day-to-day life looks like. Okay. So I'm Sister Mary Immaculata, and I am a religious sister, school sister of Christ the King. I am in temporary vows, which means I have not yet made my perpetual vows. I entered the School Sisters of Christ the King when I was um, 21 years old, and I've been teaching here at St. Joseph for for three years. I came from a farm um, northwest of Lincoln, about an hour northwest, and I went to public school for most of my life, actually all of my life. So this transition into teaching at St. Joseph's School has been, um, it's been really good for me and I love the environment here at St. Joseph's School and what we are trying to do with helping the children grow up in, in an environment that's just rich with, with God. So being in temporary vows, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the steps that it takes to become do you say a professed sister? Is Perpetually professed sister. Okay, maybe let's take a step back and you can give us the overview of the steps okay. of, of how all of that works. Before um, a person would enter religious life, um, they spend time with the community. And then once they've discerned that, they think that at this point God is calling them 
to become a, a sister, they enter the postulancy and become a postulant. The word postulant, it comes from the root that means postulare, to question. So really, um, it is a questioning time. The postulants still have their, their baptismal name, and they don't wear a habit yet. They have this postulant outfit. That can be anywhere from six months to a year and a half, at least in our community. Um, and then after that, they become a novice, if they believe that God really is still calling them to become a sister. And when you're a novice, you receive your religious name and their religious habit. So at that point, you're no longer called by your baptismal name, and you are called sister something. I remember when I was first a novice, I really loved when people would call Sister Mary Immaculata, or the sisters would call me Sister Mary Immaculata. I just loved it. And I, I still love my name. So when but you say really baptismal fresh. name, that's the name that you're given by your mother and father, uh-huh. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then um, after the person becomes a novice, then the next step after that? The next step after that is temporary vows. Mm-hmm. So the novitiate is um, about two years long. And if if the community feels that I'm called and I still feel that I'm called to become a bride of Jesus, then I would make my vows in a ceremony, a simple ceremony at the mother house. The vows are chastity, so to not be married to a man on earth so that I'm totally free um, in heart to love only God. Uh, poverty, poverty is the next one. And that is so that we'll be more more empty so that we can be more filled by Jesus and obedience. So the obedience is so that we can be like Jesus who is totally obedient to his father and follow follow him wherever he wants us to be. And how long did you say you have been in temporary vows? I've been in temporary vows for five years. Okay. And so then what did you say the last step is called after temporary vows? Perpetual vows. Perpetual vows. Okay. So that's when we're saying forever. Wow. So I lost with my math how many years that is on average, because I know some of these steps can take longer or maybe a little bit less for some. So altogether, how many years is that? It's about eight years. Eight years? Eight years. Similar to the priesthood. Is that seven years on average for a priest from the time they enter seminary or I'm showing my ignorance actually I'm not exactly sure either. okay <laughs> we'll edit that out okay. <laughs> okay wow so you are on your way to perpetual vows God willing if it's what he wants for you in your life so we'll circle back to that when we talk more about your vocation story and all of that so Can you tell us a little bit more about what faith life looked like for you growing up in your family? Did you grow up in a Catholic home? Was faith something that you talked about? Was it something that just happened on Sundays? What was your faith formation like as a child? My mom and dad made sure that we went to Mass every Sunday. They were faithful to that. And my parents also made sure that we prayed together at night. So we would just gather in the living room or maybe in somebody's bedroom, and we would say what we were thankful for for the day, and then maybe 
pray a few Hail Marys or Our Fathers, whatever came to mind. And that was, I didn't realize that it was powerful for me at the time, but looking back, to see my dad praying every night, especially praying for wisdom, for the, to know how to guide our family, that was powerful to me. And it helped me to know where to turn later in life when I didn't know where to turn anymore. I didn't feel like I had a personal relationship with Jesus as I was growing up. Um, my parents didn't talk much about that, and I'm not sure that it was something that they knew how to talk about with me. But that was okay. Because what they gave me was this rock, this rock of faith. They gave me the chance to be baptized and to receive all of my sacraments. They also prayed hard for me. So in the years when I was having a really hard time in high school, I found out later how much they prayed for me. They prayed especially the efficacious novena that Padre Pio has, which is... I don't know about this. I need to learn about it. The efficacious novena. To the sacred heart of Jesus. Okay. So it's, it's basically acts of faith in the sacred heart of Jesus, followed by some other prayers. And they, they, have, they have been my strong, strong and quiet prayer warriors. But I'm, I'm positive that I'm able to follow Jesus now because of the way that they've supported me in my prayers, in their prayers. So you talked about a difficult time when you were in high school. At that point, did you have a crisis of faith? Did you feel yourself pulling away from God? And I'm sure this is in the big umbrella of your vocation story. So maybe I'll just tee it up like that. Maybe give us the broad, big picture with as many details as you'd like to share about how God took you from this life where you have prayer every night at home, you have these parents who are your prayer warriors, you enter this time as a teen where you're having problems, as you said, very generally. And then here you are in temporary vows as a sister. Is it sister of Christ the King or? A school sister of Christ the King. School school sister of Christ the King. So fill us with the details in between. How did we get from there to where we are today? Um, The personal relationship with Jesus that I felt that I didn't have growing up, that, um, I think that, that absence stood out when I, when I was just so influenced by peers in high school. And I didn't have a good relationship with my, with my dad either. So even though I saw him praying and I knew that my parents were praying, I, I didn't communicate with them on a personal level. So I felt like I couldn't take my problems to them. And I ended up, which I think is probably pretty common, but I ended up being the very strong-willed young girl that I was. I I had this boyfriend that got in trouble with the law and was expelled from our high school. So my parents, of course, didn't want me dating him. And then it came to it came to great great arguments, just arguments almost every night with my dad. And then one night I just I just knew that I didn't have to stay anymore. I was 17 years old and and I knew that there were friends that I could go stay at their houses and their f- parents would let that happen. So 
one night we were yelling at each other and I just said, okay, like, I'm gone. Or that's the nice way to say what we had going on there. And I threw all of my things into garbage bags and I left. That was very sad. It was a, yeah, it was really bad. So I finished out the rest of my senior year living at a friend's house and graduated from high school. I did not, I did not talk to God during that time. But the ironic thing, this is just so ironic, that at the beginning of my senior year, my mom was the CCD coordinator for our small parish in Ulysses, Nebraska. So she was running short on CCD teachers and she really needed somebody to teach CCD. <laughs> so especially second grade CCD. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll do that. I can do that. So even though I left home as a senior in high school, I, I was the sort of person who was going to do what I said I was going to do. So I continued to make, make the trip to Ulysses every, every week so that I could teach the, I think it was like four, four second graders, um, so I could get them ready for First Confession and First Holy Communion. Wow. And just to look back at the stark contrast in my life at that time, it was incredible. But I know that God was working through that, and he was, he was somehow gracing me through all of that. So I wasn't talking to my mom or my dad, but I was still going there to teach EC. I then went to college, to UNL, and to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And during that year, my boyfriend and I finally broke up. So at that point, I real oh, right, this is an important detail. I called one of my best friends to talk about the breakup. And when I when she picked up the phone, she was just really quiet and I knew something was wrong. And she said that her dad had died two hours before that, suddenly. We were freshmen in college and her dad was not much older than my dad. So I realized all of a sudden that my dad could be dead and how far I was from my family and from God and how lost I was. Wow. So then I started crying and I cried for two or three days. But when I was crying, especially when I was crying alone, I would reach out to God. I felt like there was this distance between us and that I could see his hand reaching towards me, but I felt that I couldn't reach it, that I was down in this deep pit. So I just kept crying, putting my hope in him, essentially, because I, I had no idea where to turn. And then a few days later, maybe a week later, I, um, I saw this email pop up. It was from the Newman Center at the university. And I didn't remember putting my name on an email list, and I don't think I had received emails from them before, but I'm not sure, or I might have just deleted them. So there was an intramural softball team from the Newman Center, and so I thought, oh, this is perfect, because I need some way to make friends that can help me like be around people 
but I don't want to be too close to them. So with softball, you can stand out in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. You don't really have to get too close to anybody. <laughs> and as I was there, those couple of those first couple nights of, of softball, I was just shocked at how kind they were, how kind the other students were to me. Just all of them. They reached out and they were generous. They had this spirit about them. They had this spirit about them that was full of joy and there was this freedom there, which made me wonder like what's going on in their lives. Especially there was there was one young man who who became my friend pretty quickly and he said, Would I want to go to a Royals game? Like a Kansas City Royals game with him and some other friends? And I said, Yeah, I would I really want to. So I did that. But in the car, he was reading his Bible. Wow. And I was just thinking, now really, who does that? <laughs> Especially a guy like this who's really cool. Prior to this, had you had any contact with the Newman Center? Were you attending Mass regularly? Or had you distanced yourself to a point where even that had fallen away as being part of your life at that point? That part is harder for me to remember. Mm-hmm. But I think that I was going to Mass sometimes. Mm-hmm. I especially remember going to Christmas Eve Mass, which was really yeah. lonely because I was, you know, I felt like I should go. But Sure. So that was a big step for you to say, okay, I don't really know these people, but I'm going to join this softball team that I've gotten this random email. Who knows how you got it? God, obviously. <laughs> but you get this email and you're invited to this Royals baseball game. You're in the car. This guy who's awesome is reading his Bible and you're attracted to this freedom, this openness, this joy that these young people have. Okay, take it from there. That's right. So on the way back from the from the game, I found out that he and his friends went to daily mass at the Newman Center. So I thought, okay, I'll go. And it was 10 p.m. mass. So I went to 10 p.m. mass and I found out that there was adoration beforehand. So there was nothing spectacular about that first night, but I was attracted again. So then for three nights consecutively, I went earlier and earlier before that 10 p.m. Mass to spend time with Jesus in the Eucharist because he was pulling me. He was pulling me with his love and his, his force of love. So then I just had this moment after a few nights of adoration where I knew that it was me that put Jesus on the cross. Mm. Me personally. So then I was able to go to confession and start my life over again. That's what it felt like. And I just felt so free and happy at that that new realization that Jesus loved me. And that was the beginning of our personal relationship, I would say. So when you went to confession at that point, obviously you had grown up Catholic, you had received that sacrament before. Did you have any fear or hesitation that time around? Or had all of that time that you had spent in adoration really open up your heart to say, like the prodigal son running back when you see your dad running to you? I'm not going to start crying. (laughs) When you have this priest who's offering you God's absolution in the sacrament, did you have any fear when you presented yourself in the sacri- in the confessional, or were you just ready to be back in his arms? At that point, I knew how little I was by myself, how empty and desolate I was by myself. I had experienced that depth of being lost, and I experienced the love of 
him in adoration. So he moved my heart, which was in a huge grace, because otherwise I don't know that I could have gone to confession and said everything that I needed to say. So at this point, what were you studying at college? What was your major, or had you declared a major? I had started studying dietetics um, at the university, but right away when I had this experience with Jesus in the Eucharist, I knew that I didn't want to spend my life as a dietitian. It became more obvious that I wanted to be a teacher, mm-hmm. which for me was, was a family thing. And, and I, I found out later that my dad had always thought I should be a teacher. He just never told me. Are your which, mom and dad both teachers? My dad is a farmer, but my mom okay. is a teacher, and on her side, her dad was a teacher, and some others are, are teachers, too. Wow. Okay. So at this point, you're discerning, do I maybe become a teacher? When did God start to plant this seed in your heart that maybe you would be a religious sister? Or had it always been there, and he was slowly unveiling it? Or tell me where you were with all of that. <laughs> so I, I guess I should back up to fifth grade or the summer before fifth grade, I went for two summers to this camp that our school sisters of Christ the King put on in the small towns around Nebraska. I went to that, and one day they just said, so if you have ever thought about being a sister, or if you think that you would want to be a sister, raise your hand. So I didn't even think about it, and I just raised my hand. (laughs) And I felt happy about that. But then I got to school in the fifth grade, and my friend who was there at the camp with me, she told my whole fifth grade class. And I was really embarrassed because I already had a crush on a boy in that class. <laughs> <laughs> so I just shoved that out of my, out of my mind that mm-hmm. I would ever want to be a sister. So, so there was a, a, a seed of that there, but I, I just definitely shoved it out of the way because I thought that I, I, thought that I loved boys way too much to ever be a sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, back to the college time. I started dating that boy who, who initially invited me to the Royals game. And he was, he was an, an excellent Catholic gentleman. He was solid. Very much so. But I continued to go to adoration, and I went to adoration more and more. And Jesus was talking to my heart. He... He was growing he was growing my own heart and love for him. So that one night in adoration, it became crystal clear to me that I was dating two guys. Wow. And it was not fair to either of them. And so then I had to call up this other boy and say, um, I think Jesus is asking me to discern religious life, so we need to break up. That was that was hard, and we ended up getting back together a little bit before we broke up again. But then I was able to spend more time, um, more time in adoration and more time actually coming out to our sisters, mm-hmm. because I had a friend who was discerning with these sisters, the school sisters, and she loved to take me out there. Like she was so enthusiastic about everything Catholic. So I don't know that I would have come out or had the courage to come out to the convent unless she had dragged me along with her. But I loved it out there. Mm-hmm. I did love it. I just thought that we were too close to home. 
I have to ask, okay, so I'm a cradle Catholic. I'm from Omaha, and I was fortunate enough to attend Catholic schools all the way through, but unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of exposure to religious sisters. The only order that I ever had exposure to was the religious sisters of the Sacred Heart who taught at my Catholic high school, Duchenne. And they were wonderful, but unfortunately, their order has gotten progressively smaller and smaller and smaller as the years have gone on. So as I was in high school, I started to discern, maybe I have a vocation to religious life, but it wasn't a really active community, and I didn't even know how to go about proceeding to inquire more. So when you started to think, maybe God's putting this desire into my heart, and he was in adoration, you just called the mother house or... How did that work? You just say, can I come over for a visit or? That's a great question. What should a young woman do if she feels like God's putting that desire on her heart? I would, I would do a little research mm-hmm. on the internet to find an email or a phone call because the best thing to do is to just come and see. So I, I would as hard as it is, as much courage as it takes mm-hmm. to call and, and say, I'm interested, I just want to come and see, that's completely fine. To just yeah. come and see. Sisters have come and sees because of this phrase that Jesus used in the Bible with St. Andrew. I love that part of the Bible because um, for a couple of reasons. One, because Jesus asks, I'm sorry, Andrew asks Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it says it was about four o'clock in the afternoon, which to me is significant because there are not, there's only a few times in the Bible when the specific time of day is mentioned. And four o'clock is that time of day when it's just a little bit late in the afternoon, but it's not quite evening. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that story. And by the way, listeners, it's 3.55 p.m. as we're recording this, so that's awesome. So you show up to the mother house and you start visiting. Do you develop, do they set you up with some sort of a mentor or what does that look like in those early days when you're just starting to learn about the order that you're interested in? When you come for a come and see, there's, there's usually a few other girls who are there with you or maybe a lot of other girls doing the same thing. So there's time for you to pray with the sisters, time for you to work with the sisters on their different projects. And there usually be a talk or two when you come. After that, uh, they might ask you what you're thinking about making another visit or if you're thinking of visiting some other places or if it's time to or whatever is going on in your heart. They would it would be a good thing to have an ongoing communication with someone. And there's always someone, a vocations directress in a community. So that's their apostolate, that's their specific um, mission for that time. So they're more than happy to talk with you. But the thing is also no one's ever going to force um, or try to coerce someone into a community or even our community we would want a young girl to find the community that God wants for them or the vocation that God wants for them mm-hmm. because holy married women are vital for the foundation of the of the society and all of the different religious orders are also vital for our church 
so it's not to any it's not to any advantage to try to coerce someone to go in a certain way so i hope that no one would ever think that that we would try to try to convince someone to stay if they really didn't feel that sure so i guess a question i have for you is when i was a sophomore in college right before i met my husband I thought that I might have a vocation to religious life. And I had attended a retreat through the Newman Center, and I found myself in adoration just in tears beside myself because I thought that God was putting it on my heart that I was supposed to have the vocation of marriage and to go on to get married and have children. And I had sworn off guys because I had dated all these people who were not the person I was supposed to be with. But yet I thought God was calling me to religious life, and I was devastated because I thought, I really want to get married and have children. And so I'll never forget, this sister came up to me and took me by the shoulders, and she said, Catherine, God does not want you to be miserable. <laughs> right. <laughs> if, if you think God is asking you to be married, that's probably what he wants of you. You need to spend more time with him and tell him that and ask him about it. And I thought, oh, okay, so I can just talk to him about right. this vocation. But I thought I was going to be shackled to this thing. But that's not at all what God wants for us. So how did you, obviously you had been dating people and you enjoyed being in romantic relationships with men, but how did you know and come to a peace that that wasn't how you were going to find fulfillment, that that wasn't where God was calling you. How did you discern that? The moment that I told you about was key. The moment when I was in adoration and Jesus let me know that, or he just gave me this sincere feeling in the depth of my heart that I was dating two men, that Jesus made it known in prayer that he was going to be the one that would fulfill the romantic, the romantic desires of my heart, and that he is that one. Mm -hmm. So it was just through prayer that um, he let me know that that no man that I would that I would meet on the earth would satisfy my heart the way that Jesus would. I. I'm not sure how to say it other than that. It was just like communication with him that he let me know that. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you continue to explore this order and you get to know these sisters and you see what their community life is like. So then what's the next step after that? Did you decide to become a postulant? Did you finish your undergraduate program? What happened from there? What you said about being miserable, it made me think about my dad. Because I thought, once I had discerned, that I should enter, like, ASAP. And I didn't, I didn't even ask the sisters about that on their end. I just decided. <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> right. But my, so that was at the end, the beginning of my sophomore year. I decided that I was going to enter at the end of my sophomore year. But my dad, he didn't see me that often, but when he did see me, he could tell that I was miserable about the idea of entering the convent, like, right away. Mm -hmm. So he took me out for supper, and we had this, this little conversation in which he let me know that it was okay to not do it right now, that, that there could be a little more time. So in that next year, that was good for me because I took the opportunity to, to reach out to several other different religious orders, write to them, talk with them, call them, and I... So then I ended up entering at the end of my junior year 
of college. Mm -hmm. The reason I entered then was because I thought that I should go when I had the resolve to go because it is a scary thing mm -hmm. to, to leave everything behind and go to the convent. And I, I was ready at that point. I was ready to make this leap. Mm -hmm. So that was when I ended up going. So the school sisters of Christ the King are all of the sisters that are in the order who are still young enough and in good health teaching in some capacity, or is that exclusively what that order does? Our apostolate is is exclusively teaching. Okay. We have a few sisters who work on the formation of the younger sisters, like that's their apostolate, and some who are in administration. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, everyone who can is a teacher. Wow. Because for those who aren't familiar, the different orders have different, as you said, apostolates. Is that the right word? Right. Different apostolates and different charisms. So, for example, one order may be cloistered. And can you explain to the listeners what being a cloistered? And there's also a distinction between nun and sister, as I understand it, right? A nun is a cloistered woman who has professed vows, mm -hmm. and then a sister is someone who is in active ministry somewhere in the community. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what some of the other orders that we have in the United States might do. Okay. So, um, the Marian sisters here in Lincoln, they have um, a variety of apostolates within their community. So I know they have some teachers, um, some nurses, and some uh, they do with the bishop, what the bishop needs, I believe. Um, the cloistered Carmelite sisters right outside of Lincoln, their complete apostolate is to pray for the world, pray for priests, just prayer, which is awesome. There are the, the sisters, the little sisters of the poor. They take care of the elderly poor, those who are not able to provide for themselves in, in their older days. Um, like the Dominican sisters, those are sisters who also teach. I think that's their sole apostolate. The Carmelite sisters of Alhambra, they are sisters who also take care of the elderly. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of sisters all around the United States. I'm embarrassed to say I don't know the answer to this question, so I hope you know the answer. Is there... For a woman who is discerning that she may have a vocation to religious life, is there a directory of some sort where she can find all of this information? Because maybe she feels more called to become a nun and be cloistered, and she feels that she has that charism of intercessory prayer and wants to spend her day in prayer. But maybe another woman might feel called to a more active ministry in the community, say teaching or nursing. So how can a young woman find the listing? Maybe she lives in a place that maybe doesn't have an active religious order that she can join, but she wants to seek it out. Where should she go to find that information? There is a council of, of major superiors of women religious that would be cmswr.org, I believe. cmswr.org. Yes. Okay. So that would be um, the active contemplatives, like such as my order. For a listing of contemplative orders, I'm not sure. Okay. 
We'll have to find it. I'm sure it's somewhere. Listeners, if you know, tell us (laughs) because we don't know. Okay. So you enter at the end of your junior year Mm -hmm. of college. Then what? Then I became a postulant. Mm -hmm. So I spent the next um, year and a half. The next year and a half, I was a postulant. So I was just going through what it's like to live as a religious. Mm -hmm. Not quite exactly, but, but that was really, really hard for me. How so? I had been... An independent, I was a very independent person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the adjustment to the schedule and everything I did, being told what I was going to do, I was just really fighting my pride mm-hmm. really hard that first year. Pretty miserable. Not Well, yeah, I was. I was pretty miserable. I didn't expect that that would be the case. And I didn't, I think the problem for me was that I wasn't telling my directress my real thoughts. I was ashamed of my real thoughts. Can you explain what a directress is? A directress is the person who directs the postulants and the novices in their prayer life and helps them to discern what God is asking of them and also helps them helps form them into a religious. Mm-hmm. So taking a college girl and teaching them how a religious acts. Wow. It yes, it's quite a hard job. Wow. But I wasn't telling her how I really felt, which mm-hmm. was a problem. So because you were afraid? I of... was afraid, and I was ashamed of what was really going on inside of me. Uh-huh. Um, that is the one thing, if I could do something different, I would have been more honest straight from the start about what I was feeling. So she and I decided that I was, gonna, that I was going to leave, actually. Wow. Because I just didn't, I, f- I felt that more than she did. Is this a year into your postulancy? Or? About nine months in. Wow. But as, so we just picked a date a few days in, and as I was praying about that in those next few days, I, I also, I was always asking Jesus to stop me if I was doing the wrong thing. That's my favorite prayer. Jesus, slam this door in my face if it's not supposed to happen. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and he does most of the time, but... Yeah, but more often than not, if it's something I don't want to do, he leaves the door wide open. <laughs> uh-huh. Go on. Yeah, so, so I was just turning this over in my heart, and one morning I was stricken because I thought, what am I doing? I'm leaving behind the love of my life. Wow. It was, it was just so clear to me that if I left, I would be leaving the purpose of my life. So I was overwhelmed in tears, and I went to knock on the door of my directress, which was scary for me. So I went and knocked on her door, and I came in in tears, and I just poured out my heart. All these silly little things that I was afraid to tell her before. And then I was much more able to move forward in developing my prayer life and talking to God mm-hmm. honestly through, through being honest with my directress. That was huge. Did that help you to open up in your own prayer life with Jesus too, with the, all of the fear, the sadness, the anger, the joy, all of the everything in between? Because I don't know about you, but it's been only in this last year that I have finally been brave enough to be honest with God in my prayer life. I, for whatever reason, used to 
try and make things more elevated and seem more spiritual in my mm-hmm. journaling and not really letting God in and just telling him, I'm really angry today, or I'm really sad today, or I'm really fill in the blank with whatever it is, because he's omniscient. I don't know why I didn't just do that, but you're telling me he can handle my anger. He can handle my sadness, that, and it's going to be okay if I can be real with him. As you've discovered in the last year, it's more than okay. Yeah. And that's when, that's when really things start to happen in life. Mm-hmm. And I've, it seems like the more honest I am with my directress, the more honest I am with God, and it just goes back and forth. And that's how I can make progress is to be honest, mm-hmm. to be honest. Because then I find out that I'm loved mm-hmm. and someone else is in charge. I'm not. Thank goodness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Praise you, Jesus, that we're not in charge. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, um, I want to hear more. So then at that point, was it two or three years of postulancy before you took the next step to become a novice? It was a year and a half before I became a novice. Are there vows involved with becoming a novice, or is that not until you take temporary vows? It's only when you, take, when you make your temporary vows. Okay. So there are no vows involved with being a novice. Okay. A novice is free to go. So there's lots of time of discernment and continual conversation, not just with your directress, but between you and Jesus. And exactly. throughout this time, are you feeling more and more peace? The time of novitiate and temporary vows? Yeah. Yes. I was feeling eager to make my vows by the time I did make them. The Lord, he, he helped me to understand that I am still a woman. Like, what do you like mean that by that? That would seem obvious, but that means that I still notice things. I notice people, mm-hmm. and I notice men. Yeah. So he taught me with through through my directress how to take that right to Jesus. Yeah. And how to just be honest with that. Yes. Because if if I don't be honest, then then it starts to get into a little bit of a trap. Yeah. So by being honest with Jesus and my directress, I was able to know. Yes, I really am called to spend my whole life exclusively with God. Mm-hmm. So I felt very ready to make my, make my temporary vows. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like God just slowly, like layers of an onion, has just been working with you and not only drawing you closer to him, but unveiling more and more of himself to you to make you more at peace with the whole, I guess, for lack of a better word, journey Mm -hmm. from beginning to where we are now. So you're still in temporary vows. And is there a timeline for you for when you would enter into perpetual vows? Do you have a date that you've been given or is it, how does that work? I haven't been given a date yet, but I have come to the point because five years is, is the minimum for our community in temporary vows Okay. before you can make perpetual vows. And I made my first temporary vows in January. So now now I'm waiting for the community to say their yes. Okay. So who decides when you say you're waiting for the community to say their yes? What does that mean? Mother, mother, our mother superior, Mother Joan Paul, and the council. So those are sisters who, 
who meet regularly to talk about the things that are important to our community, the decisions that need to be made, um, as well as my directress. Mm -hmm. So there's a temporary vows directress also who talks yeah. with me regularly about how prayer is going and how life in the community is going mm -hmm. so that they, she can make a recommendation to the council and then I would go and I would talk with them about my readiness to make perpetual vows or not. Okay. Wow. Wow. Okay. I'm learning so much here about this because I just knew kind of nebulously what all was involved and these terms, postulancy, novitiate, etc. I had no idea about until I came to college and started having some of these classmates of mine in teacher's college because I would have some college classes with the school sisters of Christ the King who were alongside me in these lecture halls that were getting their degrees in various things. And I'd ask them, now tell me more about this. How does this work? So. This has been really interesting. Thank you for telling me about the different steps involved. We have not gotten to a whole bunch of these different questions, but I'm so glad that we were able to go deep with your vocation story. I would love if we could pivot a little bit to learn more about the day-to-day -day of community life and what it's like to live with all of these other women and how that works on a day-to-day -day basis. Because it sounds like most of the community is out most of the order is out in the community every day doing active ministry, but are some assigned to meals? I think from what you told at the parent meeting that we had the other night, it sounds like everyone takes turns with meal preparation, but how does the whole day-to-day -day work at the mother house? I, I live at a convent right now. So I live at St. Teresa convent mm -hmm. and well, we, we get up together. Um, there's a rising bell. So someone comes around and knocks on the door. What time is that? That's at 5.15. Okay. But you can get up at 4.45 if you wish. Mm -hmm. And then we, we make our meditation in chapel. or oh, And then we go on to pray morning prayer, lods together. We have breakfast together, and we leave for school. Okay. So at that point, that's where we break into our school groups of sisters and go to school. Mm -hmm. Upon our arrival home, we have our holy hour, and we also pray... Vespers or evening prayer together. Mm -hmm. After that, we have supper together. And then we either do some sort of a project, where, like a cleaning project together, or we would have recreation, or we'd have a little bit of time to work on things for school. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's a normal school day. Okay. And then on weekends, is the day formatted more or less the same without going to school in the middle there? Or what does the weekend look like for you? We, we have a, a lot more time together, which mm -hmm. is wonderful to grow in our community that way. But Saturday morning is more open for for prayer and study in the mornings. Mm -hmm. And then we, of course, have Mass. In the afternoons, we do cleaning projects or we um, have some ongoing formation because the perpetually professed sisters also need to continually be formed in what it's like to be a sister or yes, to go forward in their own religious life. Mm -hmm. Then we have supper and recreation together. Sundays are, are wonderful because we just, we try to spend, we do spend a lot of time together on Sundays. Mass, or lots, mass, brunch, prayer, holy hour, recreation, vespers, mm -hmm. time together. Do you have a policy on how frequently you can see family? 
We do. We see our families about, I think, six, seven times during the year. So they come on, sun, on a Sunday afternoon from about 1 to, 1 to 4 p.m. And then for Christmas, um, on Holy Family Sunday, our families come and we just gather together. Wow. So there's no such thing as a spontaneous visit. You do not get to go visit a family member whenever you want. There is protocol in place. Say there's a family emergency. What would happen in that case? So the family member would call and you would probably be able to obtain permission to go to your family. Mm-hmm. I've had that happen before. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's, it's all okay now. Good. But yeah. Because I think sometimes outside looking in, some people have a sense that there's no contact. They confuse what Hollywood has put in place with the image of a cloistered nun instead of what it looks like to be a sister who's in active ministry while you still have distance and your priority is your order that you've joined that you still have contact on a semi-regular basis with Mm -hmm. your family and we do go home for um four days during the summer oh wow i'm sure that's a really special time that your family looks forward to every year it is a special time wow are there any challenges with community life that you weren't anticipating because let's be real this is a bunch of women who are human who are getting together and I read uh, Sister Therese or St. Therese of Lisieux's autobiography where she talks about community life and this one sister who really challenged her with laundry and all that sort of thing so was there a challenge that you just had never even considered being a part of community life that you weren't prepared for? I think it was more the challenge of Seeing myself being rude, because mm. I, I could say that it's others, but really it's, it's my reactions to others. Yeah. And that's good for me in the sense that then I can take it to Jesus and have him help me learn how to be really loving. And also it keeps me humble. Like, who am I really? So the constant contact with each other, it, it forms me into... Uh, it forms me into the person God wants me to be. Someone compares it to, like, in a rock tumbler, you put all these sharp rocks in there, rough rocks, and then they tumble against each other and they become these polished gems, which I'm sure is what the ideal of family life is also. I was just going to say, so you're telling me your vocation is God's way of magnifying your vices, but then also softening you and showing you how to become closer to the person that he wants you to be right as well so that's also the greatest blessing mm-hmm. so because the sisters are after being after being espoused to jesus the sisters are my greatest blessing mm-hmm. to be with them their support like we witness to each other by our by our lives mm-hmm. so you know when you're feeling weak in prayer you see the other sisters are still praying and so I can pray too. The sisters are still being faithful to their vocation. I can be faithful too, and yeah. especially when it's hard. So I think sometimes we think of religious life as having you be more isolated. And I think there is some isolation to it. You don't have a spouse, an earthly spouse, the same way I do that I can just unburden myself with. But in a lot of other ways, that's what your community is for, that you have these women who are walking alongside you. God is not sending you out solo. It's sending them two by two 
and you have these women that are next to you that are living the same vocation alongside you. So that's really awesome and encouraging to see this young, vibrant group of women that are total rock stars for Jesus. I love it. Okay, so this first question I am stealing from Danielle Bean, one of my favorite podcasters. She likes to ask her guests, in 400 years, what will Sister Mary Immaculata be the patron saint of? (laughs) I thought that was a good question, too. So I asked it to my sisters the other morning at breakfast. And we were, or they said that I would be the patron saint of saxophone playing and overcoming obstacles. Wow. So you play the saxophone? I do. I love it. Okay. Well, I need to hear that sometime. And then the second one was overcoming obstacles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to hear more about that another time. Um, what is your favorite book? I love The Lord of the Rings. Okay. I've A loved Tolkien it since fan. I was in, right. I've loved it since I was in junior high. I love it. Okay. I'll ask one more. Um, what do you like to do in your free time? My free time. Is there such a thing? <laughs> well, yes, there is sometimes. I, it's a mix between spending a little extra time in prayer, reading, taking walks with sisters. I love looking at the stars. Mm-hmm. Those are some of my favorite things to do. Awesome. Well, sister, thank you so much for giving so generously of your time today. I will let you go, but I would love to continue the conversation and maybe another time if we could speak about um, preparing these young children for the sacraments that they get to receive and you being a second grade teacher helping in their formation. That's such a beautiful thing. So I would love to talk more another time, but thank you for giving so generously today. I feel blessed to have spent this time with you. Thank you. Many thanks to Sister Mary Maculata for joining me here on While You Were Folding. You were such a wonderful guest and I think that a lot of the listeners will think of this as a special Lenten treat to get to hear your vocation story and more about your life. So thank you for that. And also thank you to Sister Mary Immaculata's Mother Superior, Mother Joan Paul, for giving her permission to join me on the podcast. That was very generous of you, and I'm so grateful. If you're interested in learning more about the School Sisters of Christ the King, you can visit their website at cksisters.org. They actually have a couple of events coming up that I wanted to be sure and promote here on the podcast. If you are interested in participating or know a young woman who would be, they have a discernment retreat coming up on March 2nd through the 4th. And they also have a come and see weekend so that a young woman can find out more about what the Christ the King School Sisters of Christ the King are all about. And that takes place on March 23rd through the 25th. So if you or someone you know would be interested in participating in either of those events, please contact the School Sisters of Christ the King at cksisters.org. And sometimes all it takes is an invitation. Maybe you know a young woman You're an aunt to a beautiful young girl who you think would make a fabulous sister. Um, Just invite her and put that bug in her ear just to get her thinking about the possibility that maybe that vocation is something that she might be called to. And then also, I wanted to be sure and mention, I got a whole lot of feedback from several of you saying that you really enjoyed the episode about family meetings that I did with Philip. 
Um, if you missed that one, go on back. That was episode five. But I found it very interesting that three of you specifically mentioned that your husbands are big fans of the podcast now because they heard me say that part of our family meeting is scheduling Funky Town. So husbands, thank you for your support of the podcast. I hope that the whole idea of family meetings continues to bless your lives, listeners. Um, But I have loved hearing the feedback on that. So thank you. I have a prayer request for all of you. Please pray for our daughter, Jane, and all of the other second graders from our parish who are going to be receiving First Reconciliation this weekend. I look forward to sharing about that next week. Um, But just keep all of those innocent, pure little hearts in your prayers and lift them up to the Lord as they prepare for this beautiful opportunity that they're going to be given this weekend. Please keep sharing the show with your friends. I have received so many wonderful ratings and reviews, and I'm just so grateful that all of you continue to make time for the show. That's been fantastic. But until next week, don't be afraid to begin again and share what you heard while you were folding.